Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. As far as I know, I'm the head coach of the Texans right now. and moving forward with that. What do you feel about all the players supporting you out well, John, I'd hope they would and expect them to, too. Uh, but that, I'm not surprised with that. You know, the, they've been all in from the word go. Have you spoken with Nick or Mr. McNair uh, how about your future yet? Not at all. And I will not speak to them. They'll speak to me. Do you know why? Uh, I haven't had anything scheduled. That was just Monday. David Culley, the day after the season ends, the hay's in the barn. There's no further evidence to be collected as to whether or not he should continue to be the head coach of the team. But supposedly, and I think supposedly is the key word for today, supposedly after four days of careful thought and deliberation, the very difficult decision was made by the Houston Texans to move on from David Culley. And by the way, if you're BMW, how do you feel about having your logo attached to that soundbite when they fired the guy just three days after he said that. Good morning, Peter. Hello. Good morning, Mike. I mean, look, it's not that that was unexpected, but it was slightly ham-handed, only a little bit less ham-handed than the New York Giants. But, uh, I, you know, what's interesting about the coaching, you know, the the, the coaching thing going on around the league right now, in my opinion, is that all these teams are firing coaches, and I think truly they don't have any idea who they want to hire. You know, you hear Gerard Mayo in Houston, but I truly believe that the New York Giants have no idea who they're hiring at general manager and who they're going to hire as head coach. It's just, it's a very odd time in the NFL right now because there isn't a, oh, we all got to go get that guy. And what I have been saying for a long time is that the best thing that could happen to teams in the NFL is if they were forced to take their time. 
and to think about it longer and to interview more people. John Mara saying this week that, you know, he felt like he might have rushed a little bit, you know, last time. Well, you know, take your time. Take your time. Look, I'm not saying the Indianapolis Colts absolutely got it right, but I think inside that organization, they're thrilled that it took until one week after the Super Bowl to get Frank Reich. And again, I know today everybody's saying, whoa, why are you bringing up Frank Reich? Because Frank Reich is a really good NFL coach. And I just think that if you take your time and if you do this more with deliberation, you're almost always going to end up happier, you know, when you go back and look at it a couple of years later. But the Colts didn't even deliberately wait for Frank Reich. No, they nobody didn't. has said they were forced nobody to. has yeah. said we're going to wait to make a decision. The only time we've seen a team wait is when they're waiting for someone whose team is still alive in the postseason. And with the Patriots and the Colts, when Josh McDaniels became available, he unexpectedly said no thanks, and that's what forced the Colts to pivot to Frank Reich. So I, you and I are on the same page here. It's it's better for the teams who are looking for coaches, other than the reality that there's business that needs to be done in the month of January. That's the problem. There's business that needs to be done, and if you delay everything until February 14 at the earliest to make hires, you're really putting your team behind the eight ball as it relates to planning for that offseason. The scouting combine's right around the corner. Free agency is just a few weeks away. You're, you're talking about a very hectic first month for a new head coach, especially if the first week or two is, sent, is spent excuse me, finalizing the staff. So the problem is the NFL's calendar has expanded to the point where it makes it less and less practical to have the rule that we think would be appropriate, everyone wait until after the Super Bowl. There's no reason why you can't delay free agency. There's no reason why you can't delay the scouting combine a week. And and again, look, the NFL expanding the calendar, they're the ones who did this. It's not like it just magically happened. The NFL expanded the calendar. And I just think at this point, you know, how many times in the past have you seen a Super Bowl championship team or a team that that lost in the Super Bowl? How many times have you seen one of those two teams and and all and every one of the uh, spots has already been filled. And so a team from one of the last two teams that it, the star on that coach's resume may have risen in the last two or three weeks, but they can't take advantage of that because everything's already filled. There's got to be a way to do this better. It is idiotic, idiotic with a capital I, to be doing all of these interviews for Dan Quinn, you know, getting ready for a playoff game to be fending off suitors from coast to coast. And to be doing this interview on Zoom or I'll do this one after this game and then I'll do... I mean, you know, what do you think Dan Quinn is thinking about today? Look, I'm not casting aspersions on Dan Quinn. But if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if you're a Cowboys fan and the 49ers win that game this weekend, one of the things you're going to think 
is that the two most important coaches on our staff, other than the head coach, were occupied by thinking about these other jobs. Fair or unfair, that's what people are going to think. And it's just wrong. It's stupid. It's, it's, it's not paying enough attention to the product and the game at hand. First of all, and far more importantly than anything I will say after this, when you mentioned that Dan Quinn is fending off suitors, I couldn't help but think of the time when Kramer is living in the apartment in Hollywood and the elderly actress reminds him, I have many suitors. That has been in my brain now <laughs> ever since, and I can't get rid of it. The other side of this is, as it relates to the distraction that's created, and we'll circle it back to Cully at some point. These are important philosophical concepts that I think need to be hammered home because it all happens so fast. Nobody ever taps on the brakes and asks, does this make any sense? I had a head coach explain it to me last year in a very appropriate way. As the team with which the candidate for other jobs, one or more other jobs, is currently employed, has a postseason game coming and has been interviewed already for one of these vacancies. What becomes the priority in the mind of that person, just as a matter of basic human nature? And the best way to put it is the way it was put to me last year, and you've probably heard this too, possibly from the same coach. When that coordinator goes home after a long day of preparing a game plan for a postseason game that is just 72 to 96 hours away, when Mrs. Assistant Coach welcomes the assistant coach inside the home, is the first question, hey, honey, how's the game planning going for the playoff game this week? And or is it, have you heard heard anything more about about that job, you know, that job, the, the one that would completely and totally change our lives, the one that would be the pinnacle of everything you've been busting your ass for and not being home for all these years, the one that would allow us to move into a house three times the size of the one that we live in, that would solve all of our finance, that would finally allow us to pay off our student loans. That Have you heard anything about that job? That's the disconnect that these guys have to process at a human level as they're focused on trying to win a playoff game. Mike, I'll give you one other very practical thing that, is, that says it all about why it is stupid and idiotic for coaches to be considering other jobs while they're preparing for playoff games. I know a coach on a staff, an assistant coach on a staff who is going to be available uh, when all these musical chairs, when all the jobs get filled. What do you think he's been doing the last three or four days as he's trying to figure out where he's going to land next? I'll tell you what he's been doing. He's been talking to three coaches who are candidates for these jobs, two of whom are still in the playoffs, okay? And so this is not to cast aspersions on anybody because this is the way the game is played. I don't hold this against the coaches who are still in the playoffs that in their car on the way home, 
from doing, uh, you know, 12 hours of work for your job now that what do you think they're doing in the car on the way home and in their car on the way to work at dawn? They're calling coaches to find out if they might want to be on their staff or during the day, during a break, they're texting coaches. They're doing all that. It's just, it's, you know, I, I can't believe that the NFL has never stepped in and said, you know, this is wrong. This is all wrong. We have got to figure out a better way to do this. Because, and, and you ask, well, then, then the coaches just shouldn't call these guys. Well, that you have to be able to, when you do an interview, you know what, what uh, you know, the McCaskies and, and the Wilfs in Minnesota and every, you know what they're asking potential head coaches? Who's on your staff? Who's your staff? Who's your staff? Who Tell us who your staff is. Who's your offensive coordinator? Who's your defensive coordinator? Who, who's going to coach special teams? It's, you can't just get on a Zoom with the Wilfs and, and, just, and when they say, get on, who's on your staff? You can't just say, uh, well, I'm getting ready for my playoff game. I'll, I'll let you know when I get the job. That's, that's not a good answer. So, Mike, all I'm doing is calling for sanity in an insane process. And part of the reality as well, and, and I just coincidentally was texting with someone who has intimate knowledge of how this process works. I think part of the problem is a lot of these teams, the moment the job becomes open, they know exactly who they're going to hire and that the search process is a charade. It's a ruse. It's an exercise in... Phony due it's diligence. It's a mockery of a sham. It's working. It's working your way backward through a maze to get, yeah. you know, to get everything in line so we can say we did it, and this is the conclusion. After weeks or days or hours or whatever of deliberation, we came to the conclusion this is our coach. Which, and and that reality, and and the estimate is seventy to eighty percent. From the person that I've I've been communicating with, seventy to eighty percent of these jobs they already know from the moment they hire the coach, fire the coach, who they're going to hire. Uh, it doesn't matter if you I wait think until it's after this year, the Super Bowl. But then. I'll explain. Well, in a, well, and and here's one of the other realities. Here's one of the other realities. Bad teams end up firing their coaches, and bad teams aren't bad simply because they have a bad coach. Bad teams are bad for various other reasons. Dysfunction oozes through some of these teams and it plays out in having the lack of patience when it comes to giving a coach time to implement his processes or the lack of talent that forces you to move on from a coach who could have, in the case of Joe Judge, according to John Mara, the owner of the team, developed into a good coach. The problem is the players are so bad, the, the coach never gets a chance to show that he knows how to coach. But Peter, you can't tell me. And again, I keep I keep telling myself we'll get back to David Cully because I'm trying. I, we we need to talk about David Cully at some point. But with the Giants, prime example, when you're firing coaches two years into their tenures, three straight times, from Ben McAdoo to Pat Shermer to Joe Judge, there's something far deeper wrong with your organization than we just coincidentally happen to have three bad coaches. 
It, that that can't be the case. And and if you coincidentally happen to hire three bad coaches, then there's something fundamentally wrong with how you're picking your coaches. But but that's the problem. The dysfunction gets so deeply rooted in an organization, it manifests itself in these coaching changes. And then the organization that didn't know what it was doing to get to the point where it has to fire its coach has to go forward and find another coach. And you're, you're sliding deeper and deeper into quicksand, and no one is throwing you a vine. No one is helping you to try to get out. And you're just desperate, and you're sinking deeper and deeper. And I, I feel like that sums up what the Giants are going through right now. You know, you might – I'm interested in this, in this coach saying that 70 80% of the – Teams know who they want to hire when they. Not fire a coach. Their coach. This wasn't a coach. This is somebody else. This is somebody. Okay. Somebody else is very, very familiar with the process. Very yeah. intimately involved I, I, in the process. And look, I mean, who's to say? I could be dead wrong on this, but I don't find that to be the case. Here's what I find to be the case. And let's go back to the famous uh, Josh McDaniels case. You know, which was now four years ago. Let's go back to that case. You know, the Indianapolis Colts that year, you know, because they picked Josh McDaniels fairly early, you know, everybody said, oh, well, they must know what they were doing. Chris Ballard didn't know he was going to hire Josh McDaniels. He knew he wanted he knew he wanted to talk to him. Absolutely. And he also knew that he wanted to talk to Mike Vrabel. And at the end, it came down to Indianapolis being very close and really liking Josh McDaniels and really liking Mike Vrabel a lot, okay? And so at the end of the day, and I forget what order it fell in. I forget if Tennessee picked Vrabel first, so I, I don't remember whether, you know, the Colts picked their guy first. But but I I don't deny that some teams have some idea who they want to hire. But knowing who they want to hire in that case, and particularly this year, I think is bunk. And, and like, for instance, this year, is there one single coach, maybe other than Jim Harbaugh, who you know if you get, go into business with Jim Harbaugh, it's going to have to be a figure of $10 million or more, maybe even significantly higher than that per year. And so there are going to be some teams that automatically are out because of that. And I don't think, I just don't think that there is a guy out there right now who everybody says, I got to go get that guy. And you're seeing it. Mike, it is January 14th. There's no, there are eight openings right now and not a single coach has been hired and nobody is even close to hiring one. So even though the calendar got pushed back one week because of the addition to the regular season, this is really a different year. And I think this year, absolutely it's wrong that 70 to 80% of the teams know what they want to do. We'll circle back to the Houston Texans because I believe if any team knows what it's going to do, it is the Texans. Because to me, Peter, and we may disagree on it, and sometimes it's a lot spicier if we do, I think they hired David Culley last year knowing damn well they were going to fire him after one year, that that team was in such shambles last year. They yeah. needed a placeholder before they pursue the guy that Nick Casario and Jack Easterby wanted all along, but didn't want to hire last year and subject him to, on his permanent coaching record, 
whatever disaster 2021 was going to be for the Texans. That Cully was the guy who would never say no, who would be thrilled for the opportunity. He was a guy, and correct me if I'm wrong, his name had never come up in connection with any NFL head coaching job not ever that I, not that in I his ever. entire life. It was never whispered. It was never mentioned. He was never a guy that was flagged. Oh, hey, keep an eye on David Culley. There's some owners. They, they, they're, they're, this, is, this is a sleeper candidate. No, no, no. When it began to take on life last year that maybe the Texans would hire him, it's like, what the hell are the Texans thinking? My theory is, and I've yet to see any fact they would undercut it. He was brought the, brought in last year to hold the job for a year, and now they're going to hire the guy they've wanted all along. Now, Gerard Mayo's name all of a sudden is popping up. I mean, Josh McDaniels has been mentioned as well, but everyone believes they're going to try to pluck somebody from the Patriots tree because that's what's running the Texans organization right now. Jack Easterby, who was with the Patriots. Nick Casario, who was with the Patriots. The belief is it's going to be somebody with ties to the Patriots. Now, Brian Flores is available. That throws a curveball into the mix. But regardless of whether or not they knew exactly who they were going to hire, the plan was Cully for a year, and then we're going to get one of these guys with ties to the Patriots after one season. That's what I believe, and there's plenty of other people that I know who follow this very closely, who believe the same thing. Yeah, Mike, I don't know if that's true, um, but it certainly sounds plausible. Um, and I don't think there's any way that anybody thought that long-term the coach was going to be David Cully because <clears throat> we saw it coming from a mile away. The day they hired David Cully, Deshaun Watson has already been saying, I'm not playing for this team anymore. And as time went on, you realized that Deshaun Watson was serious. So what they needed was a guy who was going to be able to take every arrow in anybody's quiver. And I, hey, look, I happen to think four and 13 is a lot better than I expected the Houston Texans to be. That was an expansion team. You know, and I applaud Cully for winning four games with that team and for playing tough and for beating Tennessee, the number one seed in the AFC. Uh, but but I so I don't know if it's true, but it makes a lot of logical sense. The question now is, is 2022 going to be a like season for the Houston Texans? Think about it. You know, you still have this sort of Damocles hanging over your head. Deshaun Watson, how in the world do you know when that is going to be adjudicated? How in the world do you know whether it's going to be finalized, fixed, and you're going to be able to make a representative trade for a very good quarterback before the draft? You don't know. Can you imagine if you're a head coach interviewing for this job? And you know that either A, you're going to have two more ones to fool with this year. If you can trade it to a team and get a couple of ones for it, let's just say. Or if you're simply going to have your own first round pick and you're still going to have this nightmare hanging over your head. <coughs> so that's the biggest problem. Unless this gets solved in the next two or three weeks, 
the Deshaun Watson story, and there's no indication that it will be solved by the end of January. Whoever you hire as a coach has no idea what you're going to be able to do in the draft and what you're going to be able to do in free agency. Because, Mike, let's, let, let's be honest. How did the Texans do in free agency last year? They got a bunch of Mark Ingrams. You know, I mean, who did they get last year? They got a bunch of guys who basically were expansion draft players. Who's going to want to go, if you have any options at all, <clears throat> who's going to want to go to the Houston Texans knowing that, you know, hey, Davis Mills might be the guy, he might not be the guy. But, but who's going to go there having the same uncertainty that you had last year? And speaking of Davis Mills, David Culley and his staff did a pretty good job with a third-round pick. They yes. wanted Kellen Mond. The Vikings got him. They settled for Davis Mills. And from the standpoint of where he started to where he finished, no rookie quarterback made more growth, showed more development over the course of the season. So there are many things about which David Culley can and should be proud. The Deshaun Watson point is a good one, Peter. The last I checked... There was a hope that by the end of January, they would have clarity on the criminal side of things. And there was a belief that maybe it's leaning towards some sort of a misdemeanor charge that who knows what the NFL would do with that? Who knows what it would do from the standpoint of other teams? The Dolphins were willing to trade for him last year if he settled his civil cases that ultimately did not happen and kept the Dolphins trade from occurring. I fully expect that they'll trade Deshaun Watson at some point. He has a $35 million fully guaranteed contract this year. Last year it was 10. This year it's $35 million. His salary for the year is fully guaranteed. And, and I think back to last year as we, try to, as we try to understand whether or not David Culley was indeed a one-year placeholder, one of the things that got Deshaun Watson to the point where he was done with the Texans is they led him to believe he was going to be involved in the coaching search, and he specifically asked them to interview, not hire, but interview Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, and at the time 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala, who ultimately became the Jets coach, and the Texans interviewed neither of them. Neither of them. And those were the two names that Deshaun Watson offered up. He wasn't saying, hey, you got to go get my college coach, Dabo Swinney, or anything like that. Mainstream candidates who had multiple interviews – I think Sala was interviewed by everybody but the Texans, and the Texans didn't do it. That's what really was the final nail for Deshaun Watson and made it impossible to walk it back. And I think that whoever takes that job, yeah, I think they're going to know going in they're trading Deshaun Watson. And the question is, did slow playing this and kicking it to March ultimately allow the Texans to get more or as much as they would have gotten last year? Those are all undetermined, but I'm I, I doubt that because there's a theory, oh, well, if they hire Brian Flores, then maybe Deshaun Watson will want to stay. I, I think it's going to take a lot more than that at this point to turn Deshaun Watson around after everything that's happened. And I also think that the Texans probably don't want him at this point. Cal McNair probably doesn't want him at this point. Jack Easterby probably doesn't want him at this point. That would be one no. of the all-time redemptions and turnarounds yeah. and 180s for a team if Deshaun Watson all of a sudden decided to stay with the Texans. Look, I think the interesting part of this next story is, A, of that $35 million, let's say that a team is going to trade for Deshaun Watson. My question and my demand would be, 
let's just say for the sake of argument that you're the Philadelphia Eagles, all right? And there you are with the 15th and 16th picks in the draft, as well as your other pick. And, and, and I'm just going to invent this. But let's just say you're willing to trade 15 and 16 and next year's two uh, or something, who knows, for Deshaun Watson. Then if you're Howie Roseman and Jeff Lurie, aren't you going to ask the Texans, hey, listen, Deshaun Watson's going to get suspended for part of this season. So let's work on part of this deal. Let's work on this financial part of this deal. In other words, you know, you guys have got to eat 15 million of his salary this year. You have to, because he's going to get a suspension. And we're not paying for this guy for something that happened in Houston. We're not paying, you know, for that aspect of him. So to me, that's that's going to be one of the questions that I think is going to be up for discussion and significantly will need to be resolved. And remember, he's got a no trade clause and there were reports last year he wasn't interested in going to Philadelphia. So wherever he's interested in going after, because I was on radio on one of the Houston stations yesterday and, you know, well, the question was where, where will Deshaun Watson go? What makes the most sense? The way this works now, you've got two separate carousels. One runs before the other. The coaching carousel has to come to a conclusion, and we see where everyone lands there. Let the dust settle on who's coaching where. Then you spin the quarterback carousel because before you can figure out what quarterbacks are going to be of interest to what teams, you have to know what coaches are in place, both from the standpoint of the veteran quarterback who's looking at another team and for the team that's looking for a quarterback. So much of it is driven by who the coach is. And back to Cully, it's clearly not him. We had the tweet up, and I've got – you know, I don't have a whole lot of pet peeves, and I don't know that it's a pet peeve. I think it's just ridiculous that social media accounts are used for these phony, false expressions of gratitude the day they fire somebody. Thank you, Coach Cully. Thank What the hell? You fired the guy. You asked him, no, told him to pack up his S-T and leave. Get out of here with this <laughs> false expression of gratitude. Thank you for leaving when we asked you to, Coach Cully. It drives me crazy. Usually it happens to players. This is the first one I remember where, you know, it was done in connection with a coach. Thank you for playing along with our ruse that we're only going to keep you for a year and then fire you and go hire our real next head coach. Thank you for being the coach of a team that didn't belong in the NFL and somehow winning four games with this ragtag collection of free agents who were – somehow willing to come play for you and us this year. Uh, Nick Casario's statement about Cully is interesting as well. He blamed the... You know, he's doing a press conference today, and I'm going to be very interested to see if he can keep a straight face through some of these things that he's going to say. Philosophical differences in the long-term direction of the program. Yeah, the philosophical difference is we want to coach other than you. That's the philosophical difference. Can you be a coach other than David Culley? No, I can't. Okay, well, we've got some philosophical differences that we just can't resolve. Are you kidding me? This guy would have done whatever Casario wanted him to do. He would have, to keep that job, his ship came in in his mid-60s, <laughs> something he never thought he was ever going to have the chance to do in his entire life. And do you really think David Culley 
is throwing his weight around at the Texans facility saying, hey, I got my four wins this year. You're going to start listening to me. I'm in charge now. Hey, Casario, you sit down and shut up. Jack Easterby, I don't still know. I don't know what the hell you're doing here. You get the hell out of here. Come on. Get out of here. Especially because they micromanaged David Cully all year long, talking into his headset, telling him what to do. He was a puppet. He was a puppet. There weren't philosophical differences. and making him sound like he was Bill Parcells, throwing tables upside down and shouting at people and telling them, yeah, no, come on. It's just amazing to me. It's amazing to me, Peter, the BS that these teams will feed the public and expect people to just say, mm, 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 give me more. Mike, that's <sighs> quite a statement on your part. Um, I have two responses. The first one is that... <laughs> Anybody, no, really, anybody who thought that this was going to be anything other than an abject disaster. And it, and you know what? It really wasn't. It was, you know, I, 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 like I say, I applaud David Cully. They had a representative, decent team. <laughs> and, you know, one to 53 on that roster I mean, you compare it to, uh, it, it had to be in the bottom three in, in talent in the league. Had to be. Had to be. It might have been in the I bottom was the worst. one. It was the worst. Yeah. It was the worst. But, you know, there's one other thing, and this is going 180 degrees in some direction other than what we've talked about now. But it's something that I wanted to make absolutely sure that we mention on the show today. And that is, do you know the team that most benefits by the David Cully experience in Houston. You do know it. It's the Baltimore Ravens. Because the NFL, remember the NFL made a rule last year that basically said, <clears throat> if you either hire a minority coach or GM, <clears throat> or if you're the team that has lost a minority coach or GM, you get two third-round compensatory picks. And you it don't was, get it for hiring. You don't get it for hiring. You, no, you don't get it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You only you get, it, get if it, it's, it if it's your right. candidate that gets, that gets hired to a bigger job. You're right. You're right. So here's the deal right now. The Baltimore Ravens are the biggest beneficiary because David Cully was an assistant coach on their staff in 2020. And at the end of the year, the Houston Texans hired David Culley to be the head coach. So last year, the Ravens got one third-round draft choice. This year, the Ravens have another third-round compensatory draft choice. For a guy who lasted one year and was clearly, uh, you know, was, was clearly not sought, not thought of the day they hired him as the, you know, the coach for the next 10 years. He was, in essence, and he turned out to be a bridge coach. And another team in the league gets two third-round draft picks because of that. And again, look, I'm not faulting the rule. I'm not faulting the rate. I'm not doing any. I'm just simply stating the fact that the team that this worked out best for is not the Houston Texans. It's the Baltimore Ravens because they get two threes for a, a position coach on their team that they can now bring back if they want to <laughs> they, can, yeah. they can bring him back they loaned yeah. david cully to the texans for a year and got 
two third-round picks for the exercise. And Cully gets a buyout. There's reporting all over the place on what the buyout is, whether it's John McClain, Tom Pellicero, Adam Schefter. They're all over the place on how much David Cully gets to go away. Shefty says two years are guaranteed. McLean says four. Pellicero says three, which is fitting, right? Well, to have no idea what the hell is going on because that's basically the Texans right now. Although, as we suggested, they have an idea who they're going to hire. Gerard Mayo and Brian Flores have emerged as the likely candidates. I still think Josh McDaniels is looming as a possibility there, but there are many questions to be resolved when it comes to the Houston Texans. Let's do this real quickly on the way out the door. We're going to talk about the Giants in their own segment coming up because, Peter, we know that's a team near and dear to your heart and and part of the, the, the history of your uh, coverage of the NFL. You, you once focused exclusively on the Giants. Best way to describe each of these other vacancies, six others, as quickly as we possibly can, although that may be impossible with some of these jobs. Dolphins, best way to describe it. Well, I mean, look, in my opinion, it is the cloudiest postseason coaching carousel that I've ever seen. You look at Minnesota. Does Minnesota have any idea? I don't think Minnesota has any idea. Chicago. Would Chicago love it if uh, Jim Harbaugh cost $6 million a year? Yes. Does Chicago want to pursue? Let's go one by one. Let's go one by one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Let's go one by one. I'm sorry if I wasn't clear. Let's just focus on the Dolphins. Give me the best way to describe the Dolphins. Let's start with that one, and then we'll move through the rest. All right. The Dolphins right now, at least in my opinion, Mike, the Dolphins right now want a conciliatory voice who can make Tua Tonga-Valoa into a great quarterback. Because I believe that they saw enough this year to think that we are going to try. We're going to try to get Tua fixed and to get him ready to play again this year. Now, only uh, Chris Greer knows right now. He's the only person I think who knows. And obviously, Stephen Ross. If uh, Deshaun Watson gets his stuff straightened out before the draft this year, and if he's available with, say... Who knows? A six-game suspension? I don't know. If they still are going to be interested in doing that. But as of now, whoever gets this job has to get this job figuring that they are going to uh, work with Tua Tonga-Valoa. Yeah, the only way Tua is getting fixed is if it involves a certain snip-snap, snip-snap, snip-snap. I don't think Tua is going to magically become better because there's some coach out there that is smitten with the idea of making Tua Tonga-Valoa into the franchise quarterback he's never going to be. Good morning, Tuanon. Thank you for entering the chat. But I think the best way to describe the Dolphins' vacancy, frankly, is the least desirable because of the dysfunction, because of the fact that Stephen Ross doesn't live and work in South Florida, because he's in a position where he can be manipulated by the people who whisper into his ear, in the luxury suite while the coach is busting his ass trying to coach the team. Look, a lot of stuff's being blamed on Brian Flores, and I think it's funny when you see the people who cover the Dolphins for a living and who will continue to cover the Dolphins, no matter who the owner, the coach, the GM are, parroting the talking points that the Dolphins are clearly putting out there. It's not surprising. It's a little depressing that you don't see more independent thought from these people, but they have a vested interest in continuing to grease the wheels of the machine in South Florida that is the Miami Dolphins. But I, I, between the Dolphins and the Texans, if I was a coach with options, Peter, I would say, no way. 
I'm not interested. I'll go somewhere else. So for me, the best way to describe the Dolphins' job from a coach's perspective is undesirable. I don't deny that, but let me just say one other thing. You know, I do think that both things are possible in Miami. That Brian Flores was a lousy communicator who bizarrely employed 10 combined offensive coordinators, offensive line coaches, and quarterback coaches in three seasons. I mean, what is that all about? You know, so again, and he's also a guy who kept this team together after some horrible losses, you know, including getting on a plane and flying seven hours home from London after losing to the friggin' Jaguars. <laughs> uh, he, he, he somehow kept this team together to win seven in a row and to enter the last fortnight of the season with a chance to make the playoffs. So, you know, this is one of those things where, you know how Jerry Seinfeld goes, oh, damn it, I don't know what to think. You're seeing quarters at Wurtsboro. You're seeing squirrels. You're seeing, I don't know what to think of anymore. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what I think about the Dolphins. I don't know what to think. But I don't think Brian Flores leaves here as any sort of aggrieved victim. I think he yeah. played a part in his demise. Well, the fact that that there's a sense of clamoring for Brian Flores suggests that nationally the, the sense is it was more about the Dolphins than it was about Flores, and that's kind of been the case down there, all in part, in large part, because Stephen Ross doesn't show up for work every single day, and he isn't there to understand what's going on in the building. He's in not much of a better position than you or me to understand why there were 10 different offensive coordinators and offensive line coaches and whatnot because he's up in New York City all the time focusing on his primary business and not moving his business operations center. He doesn't have to be micromanaging, but just be there in the building. Do your work out of the building so you're around, so you can you know have lunch with these folks and talk to these folks and get a sense of what's really happening. In Minnesota, I don't have much of a sense of what's happening. Let's go through these quickly. I Look, the Wilfs uh, have a great stadium, great facility. They're willing to authorize significant expenditures, even for middle-of-the-road quarterbacks. Um, if, if, they, if they can line the planets up right, this may not be an unattractive coaching position. It all depends on what they do by way of GM first, though. Peter, do you agree? Yes, but I also think that there's something hanging over both of these hires, and that is, what are you going to do about Kirk Cousins? $35 million a year this year, and then what? Okay, and so my feeling is the biggest question and the question that if I am the Wilfs that I'm asking both general manager candidates and coaching candidates, how do you feel about Kirk Cousins? Should we resign him to uh, uh, whatever, three years, $120 million? What What do we do there? Or do we go prospecting for a new quarterback? What do we do? And that, to me is as big a question as the GM and coach. The last time I remember the Vikings, well, you know, there's been a couple of times the Vikings have been looking for a coach the same time one of their division rivals was looking for a coach. Uh, in, in 06, it was Childress to Minnesota and McCarthy to Green Bay. In 1992, it was Holmgren to Green Bay and Dennis Green to Minnesota. Both times, it worked out in favor of the Packers because each of those guys won a Super Bowl. Now the Bears are also looking for a, a coach and a GM. Um, get, and again, we got we got to move through these, but g give me your your quick sense on on the Bears coaching vacancy. 
I think the most logical thing for the Bears is, look, you got Bill Polian advising him. This is almost too easy. But Bill Polian has always thought, you know, going back to Indianapolis days, that Jim Caldwell should have retained that job a lot longer than he did. And, you know, I think he comes in saying, hey, listen, let's calm the waters and teach the quarterback. This guy had a winning record in Detroit for crying out loud. Just take Jim Caldwell and don't overthink it. Yeah, I know Tony Dungy's been pushing Jim Caldwell for Jacksonville, but I think it would make sense in Chicago as well. Denver's an interesting situation for me because the team is being sold. They're they're waiting to announce it until after they hire the coach. The team's being sold. They have everything but the quarterback. And George Payton is running the show here, picking a coach. This could be a good destination if you're willing to to Very sign good. on. It's to sign on, given the possibility that someone who buys the team walks through the door and you hate them and they hate you. Hey, look, that's not going to happen. I mean, it would be bizarre if it did happen. But they're going to have somebody who is going to come in and say right away, I don't care how much it costs. Find me a quarterback and find him now. And I think if you are, and I'm not, I'm just, this is, this is, not out of left field, but it's kind of out of center field, okay? If you are Aaron Rodgers, you're looking at Denver and you're saying, hmm, here's a team right now with three really good young receivers. Now, they may have to trade one to get me, but they're going to have at least two good uh, receivers. They got a left tackle. They've got a lot of cap money. They got a really smart general manager. And they got an owner who's going to come in with more money than God. And for the next three or four years, if I really do want to leave Green Bay, and I don't know if he does, I don't know if he doesn't. And, and I applaud Aaron Rodgers, by the way, for not throwing out a bunch of breadcrumbs other than to saying, I'm getting along with Brian Gutekunst and my decision's going to be quick. Okay, that's, that's all he has said. But, but anyway... If I am Aaron Rodgers and I'm looking at this situation, I'm saying, if I want to leave Green Bay, and maybe he doesn't, probably he doesn't. But if I want to leave Green Bay, best place in the NFL right now is the Denver Broncos. And whether it's Rodgers or someone else, it's a very attractive landing spot. And this is a subject probably for another Friday. But if I'm Aaron Rodgers and I'm looking at two new head coaches in my division and one guy who's entering his second year who's looking for a bunch of kneecap biters on his team, I'm probably sticking around in the NFC North. I can I can run that division a lot more easily than I can run the division with Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes and the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, as to the Raiders, quickly on them, uh, I, I feel like Rich Passaccia has already earned the job. But I don't get the impression that he's gotten any indication he's getting the job. Now, they're still going to have to go through the full search whenever their season ends. But uh, how, do you, how do you say to the locker room and the fan base that the guy that somehow steered us through some of the worst dysfunction and adversity a team has seen, how do you say this guy doesn't stick around at least for a year or two? Give him a David Culley year and see what he can do. Tell you what I'm hearing, Mike. I'm hearing that Mike Mayock loves Rich Passaccia and really wants him to stick around for 2022, thinks they make a good team together, egoless guy coaching the team. And Mike, I don't know if you saw it yesterday, seven-second snippet on Twitter of Zay Jones 
cupping Rich Basaccia's uh, face in his hands and saying, hey, you're doing a good job. I mean, you know, totally unprompted and whatever. It was, it, it was, it was like a touching moment. And, and, and my feeling is he's got that locker room and he, he's, got a, he's got a locker room of guys who really would like to see him get this job. So, But we'll see what happens. I've always thought that Mark Davis loves billboards. And what would be better than billboards on the strip with Jim Harbaugh's picture on it? But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, and, and I can understand why Mike Mayock would be leaning toward Bisacci because if Harbaugh comes to town, first order of business may be no more Mayock. Or if Mayock stays, there's going to be a lot of Pepto-Bismol and Tums in Mylanta consumed by Mike Mayock while working with Jim Harbaugh. That's for damn sure. Uh, last one, the Jaguars. Uh, Trent Baalke's there, and that seems to be an impediment to them getting, you know, the, the true A-listers, if there are any. It, it feels like it's maybe pointing toward Bill O'Brien. I don't know how O'Brien and Balky are going to coexist, but O'Brien may not care. I mean, it's, he, he, he won uh, multiple power struggles in Houston. Maybe he figures if I go to Jacksonville, it's just a matter of time before I take over there too. Look, whoever it is, and you hear that both O'Brien and Caldwell are kind of the leaders in the clubhouse right now, what is very clear right now is that Shad Khan wants somebody to come in and just to mentor his quarterback. That's what they want. They want the quarterback to look like he did in week 18 every week. And he didn't this year. But you can see the progress being made. And the only way that I might say, might say, uh, don't go with a veteran guy to try to teach your quarterback, is if I could get a guy like Josh McDaniels or... Kellen Moore, who I really trusted to coach my quarterback one-to-one, eight hours every day, uh, at least through the offseason, you know, I do think a veteran coach is probably much more likely. Well, they ain't getting Kellen Moore. There's no way Jerry's letting Kellen Moore get away from Dallas. Whatever it takes, he's keeping him around to be the successor to Mike McCarthy, I believe. But, you know, as you were explaining, Bill O'Brien versus Jim Caldwell, I cannot imagine a sharper contrast in coaching styles. And I think, right. I think because O'Brien's very in-your-face, F-bomb, hard coaching, and Caldwell is more of the Tony Dungy, soft touch, easy hand. And the fact that they're rebounding from a guy who's far closer to O'Brien on the spectrum of hard coaching to soft touch I think it's it, it you know even though the the the, the signs seem to be pointing toward O'Brien when you look at that style I think Caldwell maybe have an edge there because uh, Shad Khan's going to be thinking I don't want another Urban Meyer even if Bill O'Brien's not going to be like Urban Meyer he's already been burned once by having that that more you know dynamic and loud and 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 just there constantly coaching hard and uh, and in a guy's face and. They saw that, and they didn't like it, and they moved on. We're going to move on. As I mentioned earlier, the Giants get their own segment. We're going to talk about what they're going to do. They have to get a GM and a coach, and maybe they have to convince ownership to stand down and stay out of the way and let the GM and the coach do their thing. We'll discuss that next here on this Friday edition of PFT Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected 
the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm curious, is this your lowest moment in your association with the Giants? And is this, is this as embarrassed as you've been about the franchise? Honestly, I would have to say yes. Yes, it is. Um, I kept thinking during the season that uh, we had hit rock bottom and then each week it got a little worse. So, uh, honestly, I, I'm not proud of saying this, but if I'm going to be 100% honest, I would have to say the answer is yes. Uh, there are no package deals. I mean, each... Uh, we want to get the general manager ideally done first, and obviously we'll talk about um, the candidates uh, for head coach, but uh, there's, it's not going to be a package deal. I want to go through a, uh, a, a complete process here, interview as many people as possible. I don't want to rush into anything. We've made that mistake in the past, and I want to make sure we get to see as many candidates uh, as possible, ideally. And you know that Amplify the point that Peter made last segment as we hear from John Mara earlier in the week. They want to take their time. The problem is you've got seven other coaching vacancies and they're not taking their time. The Raiders are because they're still playing, but there, there becomes an urgency. There becomes almost like a panic, like you've got to get to the store to buy the hot no, Christmas toy. No, well, I'm just saying, no, I'm saying you, I'm saying that that sense develops. That's the sense you have to resist that that scarcity mentality that prompts people to go spend whatever they have to spend to get whatever they want before someone else gets it. I mean, if there's somebody the Giants kind of like and they're concerned that someone else is going to get them, hey, they got burnt. They got burnt two years ago, right? They didn't want to pay Matt Rule. The Panthers pounced on Matt Rule before the Giants could even get him into the building. So uh, they resisted then, and, and, and I think they, they'd like to resist again. But if they find somebody they really like, you know, you, you may sit there and watch them go coach someone else and be pretty damn good while you settle for someone other than the guy that you were getting interested in. I'm just saying it's hard to do because others aren't going to sit and wait, even if the Giants are inclined to do so. Um, so in 2020, all right, uh, five days after the end of the regular season, five days. The New York Giants, spurned by Matt Rule, later that day, hired Joe Judge. Okay, 
And so we're at that moment right now, today, right now. We're at the moment where two years ago they hired Joe Judge. And my only advice for John Mara and for Steve Tisch is if somebody gets some guy who you interviewed and you liked, either as a GM or coach, say, hey, God bless you, good luck. We are not going to be rushed. Even if we have to look at four or five more candidates, that's fine. What difference does it make? You know, do your due diligence, get the right guy. I bet they're really happy they rushed into Joe Judge two years ago. Don't you think? But, you know, two other points about the Giants. You know, I don't remember a general manager who left such a disaster in his wake as Dave Gettleman has left with the Giants. Now, Dave Gettleman did some good things in his two, two tenures with the New York Giants. He really did. He did, you know, he scouted players. He did a good job, okay? But this, the, this tenure was an abject, absolute disaster. And I'll tell you why when I say that, you know, he, he leaves a disaster in his wake. The Giants are one of five teams right now that are in negative cap condition entering the 2022 season. Five teams. They're by far the worst team. Okay, and, and, and I want to, I just to, to, to give you an example of how bad the Giants cap situation is. Seven players, James Bradbury, Adoree Jackson, Logan Ryan, Leonard Williams, Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, and Blake Martinez. Those seven players, okay, account for 60% of the Giants salary cap in 2022. $125 million on the cap in 2022. You know, and, and look, Kenny Galladay, he's a really good player. Don't get me wrong. And, and, and I don't get overwhelmed by the fact he had zero touchdowns this year. It was a disastrous year for the offense. But a $21.2 million cap figure for Kenny Galladay, Adoree Jackson, $15.5 million. I mean, it just, what got into the Giants to be such desperate, profligate spenders in free agency to have these disastrous contracts, uh, you know, on their, on their books right now? Pro- profligate. Uh, I, 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 I'm concerned that when they re-air this in, in uh, uh, the UK on Sky, that that may be a curse word. And uh, I'm, I'm not, it may be in the United States. I'm not quite sure what it means. Um, you know, Peter, they were competing with no one for Kenny Galladay. They got snookered yeah. into paying Kenny Galladay yeah. what they paid him. It reminded me last year when Dave Gettleman was doing the drunken sailor spend routine. It reminded me of Jerry Reese the year that they went out and they got, and I know I'm not going to remember all of them. Well, I think I, they got Janoris Jenkins, Snacks Harrison, and Olivier Vernon all in the same cycle because Jerry Reese was on the hot seat. I mean, that's what happens. GM gets on the hot seat in New York and goes out and spends, spends, spends to try to save his job. And it was a futile exercise, obviously, for Dave Gettleman. He's gone, and now Joe Judge is gone. And uh, I, I feel like they really wanted to try to talk themselves into keeping Joe Judge. They like Joe Judge. John Mara and his family members who have 
titles of influence and significance in the organization. They liked Joe Judge, and I think they wanted to hire a GM who would be fine with keeping Joe Judge. They realized, though, after a couple of days, that it was going to be almost impossible to find the right GM who would be content to keep the guy who had the 11-minute meltdown after the Week 17 loss and did the whole We Are Not a Clown Show thing, basically admitted to tampering the next day on a conference call, and then did the reverse flying V formation on third and nine from his own five-yard line. I mean, it, you, you, how can you bring? How can you ever recover from that if you're Joe Judge? And I think that that uh, unlike the Texans, who I don't believe spent four days carefully evaluating. David Culley, I really do think the Giants spent two days trying to see if they could talk themselves into keeping Joe Judge and ultimately realizing they there's no coming back from what you see on the screen. Mike, I believe that, you know, if 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 that play was the play that meant the end of Joe Judge, you also have to look at the eleven minute speech as to me a major part in it because here's what Joe judge did. Okay. After getting beat by 26 points against a five win team late in the season. And after being absolutely hapless on offense and after your special teams, you were hired as a special teams coach has the most embarrassing special teams play in recent memory where the kick returner waves off everybody and starts going off the field and the ball bounces at the two or three yard line and just dies. So then you have to have a mad scramble to go recover the ball. And in the next minute, you get a safety and the other team gets a field goal because of that. And then after that game, you stand up there and talk about what a wonderful culture you have. You know, all I can say about culture is a four-letter word and then culture. That's all you can say about it. Because everyone, everyone in the NFL says, oh, we want to build this great culture. You know, ask some of the guys who used to play for the Patriots, okay? Ask what they think about the kumbaya culture under Bill Belichick. It, you know, what the, it's not the culture. It's the game plans. It's the great coaching. And it's the quarterback. That's what it is. That's how you win. That's how you win in the NFL. You don't win by saying, oh, man, I am happy to go to work today. What a great place this is. And, you know, stop with the culture. And, and you defend yourself. Because that was an 11-minute speech intended for John Mara and Steve Tisch. Whether he thought it was at the time or not. But that's certainly how it appeared to everyone. It's a, it's a speech saying, I should keep my job because everybody loves coming to work. It was insane. It was crazy. Who, after a 26-point loss, says, we got great culture. We're on our way. Crazy. Bruce Allen. That's a different story altogether. Um, the, the, uh, th there's a theory out there that Joe Judge actually wanted to get fired, and this was part of it. Look, that's ridiculous because there's no coming back from this for him anywhere. He'll there's never no be coming back again. from it. 
He will never be a head coach again. He better spend that $15 million wisely that he's going to get over the next three years, and he's already splurging on pizza and beer, which I think is actually kind of funny. Maybe that's how you come back from it. I don't know. But you can't. You're not getting a second <laughs> chance. There it is. You're not getting a second chance as a head coach. Some guys do. Some guys don't. Joe Judge is not going to get a second chance as a head coach. Um, he's just not, especially since he's a special teams coordinator. It's not like you're going to go back and become some great defensive coordinator, and all of a sudden people are going to be like, hey, I think we need to give him another chance. And on that point, Peter, something that is very vexing to me, something that I don't understand as the Giants, the Bears, and the Vikings are looking for new general managers, and it's a smattering of names of people who have never been general managers, and sometimes I have to ask myself, who is that person? And then I have to go look it up, and then I still have to ask myself, who is that person? Why do you think, and I wrote something about this the other day, and I don't want to leave anyone I out. Love I love what you wrote about lists it. of names. I love I always, I always hate it because I'm sure I left someone out. But whether it's Thomas Dimitrov, who built a Super Bowl team, who drafted Matt Ryan, first order of business, and he's still the starting quarterback of the Falcons 14 years later. Jerry Reese, who won two Super Bowls as the general manager of the New York Giants. Rick Smith, who was responsible for you know, some of the best Texans teams we've seen in the 20 years they've been around. Rick Spielman, and who's now available. Deshaun Watson. After, exactly. Rick Spielman, who's available after 16 years with the Vikings. Scott Pioli. We forget about the Executive of the Year awards that he won with the Patriots. I know his time with the Chiefs was far from ideal, but you've got former general managers out there, and there are others who were viable and successful. And yes, just like coaches, it hits the end of the road. But good coaches get a second act. Why don't general managers who were on the pass side of pass fail? Now, and I'm not saying get hired. I'm saying why do their names not even come up? I, I, you know, I can't answer it, Mike. I think it has to do with the fact that almost every guy who you just mentioned, John Dorsey too, almost every guy you just yep. mentioned is... You know, even though they've got some good things to their credit, they've also got some negatives to their credit. And, uh, you know, so when they get hired, you know, they're going to have to stand in front of a room and they're going to have to say, okay, here's the way we're going to do it. Well, what about when you were in in Franchise X and this happened and that happened and, and all this and you didn't get this done and all that other stuff? Whereas you hire one of these fresh faced guys who people don't know. Uh, they've got no you know, baggage. Look, they got no yeah, scars. It's, a, it's and it's a honeymoon period. And I also think the other factor, Mike, when you wrote this, I said I started thinking about it, and that's the first thing I thought of. You know, the second thing I thought of, Brandon Staley. He said, "What do you mean, Brandon Staley? Openness to new ideas and doing things differently and having, I mean." Mike, there are teams in the NFL right now that have 8, 10, 12 employees in like analytics. I'd call it analytics, but whatever they're called, football strategy, whatever it is, openness to that. And like, you know, a lot of guys who you mentioned, and I don't know all of them, and I have no idea what Rick Spielman thought of analytics, but I do know that... Like, for instance, in Cleveland, John Dorsey and Paul D. Podesta clashed over some of that stuff. So automatically, John Dorsey is going to have to walk into an interview and tell people, I embrace analytics. 
and he's going to have to prove it to somebody. So I do think there's that part of it. You know, does somebody who has been around the game for 20 or 25 years, and in 1995, analytics didn't exist, you know, and, and does somebody who cut his teeth in the NFL in a pre-strategic time in the NFL, uh, are they going to be open to that? And are they going to embrace it? And are they going to use it? Well, look, I understand why a John Dorsey would have difficult moments of an interview. And I think any coach or GM who's been with a team and has been fired uh, is, is going to have awkward moments that need to be explained. Whereas somebody who's never done it before is not dragged down by that. I still don't understand why there isn't at least yeah. the conversation, at least so just just part of the due diligence. How can you do your due diligence if you're only looking at people who have never done the job before and you're not considering people who have done the job to a certain degree of success, especially for a team like the Vikings, frankly? where it's a lot like Stephen Ross. The Wilfs don't live in Minnesota. They need a strong presence to be in charge of the football operation. And uh, somebody who's been there and done that and done it well would at least be somebody, I think, to consider. I'm not saying hire. I'm not saying hire. I'm just saying consider as you figure out what's best for your franchise. Let's take a break. It's best for us to do that right now. And we will focus on the games this weekend. Six of them. Super wild card weekend. Year two of 12 teams playing in the first week of the postseason. We'll get you ready for that when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.